I'm licensed psychotherapist Greg Woodhill. Welcome to a Brave New Man podcast. On this show, we speak with both experts and non-experts in our goal of exploring all the ways that men are already getting it right, acknowledging all the ways that we're getting it wrong, and most importantly, learning how we can fix what needs to be fixed in order to have healthier, happier relationships and lives. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's special episode of A Brave New Man that was inspired by Father's Day. You know, I'm filled with a lot of love as I bring forward these two stories today to all of you listening. A few weeks ago, I went to a showcase of writers who were sharing stories that they had all written about their own lives, and I stumbled upon two absolutely beautiful stories written by men about their fathers. As I was listening to these men read their stories in front of a live audience, I found myself with tears in my eyes. I was sitting on the edge of my seat. I was imagining every moment that they were describing of these times that they had spent with their fathers. And so I begged both of these men to come onto the podcast and read their stories, and they both agreed to do so. Their stories were vulnerable. They were compassionate. They were full of emotion. And I recommend that as you listen to these two stories, that you immerse yourself in the world of the speaker, but I also recommend that you allow your relationships with your own parents to be in your heart as you listen, or your relationship with your own kids for that matter. As these stories beautifully illustrate, we affect people. We mean things to other people. We matter to other people. Allow your heart to open as you listen to the journeys of these two men who tell stories about absent fathers. The first is about a father who was literally absent, and the second is about a father who was physically present but was mentally and emotionally absent. And you hear from both of these storytellers how much pain having an absent father caused them even though it was in vastly different ways. Our first storyteller is Danny Parker Lopes, who's reading a piece from his one-person show about the day that he met his biological father after not knowing him for 30 years. Danny is an actor and a writer who says he's been working on this piece called Pops for his whole life, literally. He hopes to complete the one-person show and eventually the movie before he dies. He begins here by setting up where we are in the story of that day, and then he transitions straight into the story as written. Here's Danny. So, at this point in the story, it's the day after Christmas in 2001. I'm 30 years old, and I'm meeting my biological father, who's 50 years old. I've never met him before. Previous to this in the story, we've learned we've learned a bunch of things about how much I know about my father and my mother and all those details. But at this point in the story, I've just released grips. We just uh, we've just shaken hands. I've had a panic attack in the car, and I finally got up to the door, knocked on the door, and we've just uh, shook hands. He has these meaty, meaty mechanic, grizzly hands that kind of hang there like meat hooks. After we released grips, I was flooded with a million thoughts and emotions. The emotions I could hold on to because I'm a man. But the thoughts, those were a whole other story. 
I did my best to remain present as he invited me in, suggested I have a seat on the couch. And silence. Lots of silence. I looked at him. He looked away. Then he would look at me. Then I would look down at my combat boots. My brain wouldn't stop. Uh, Do I talk? Does he talk? I mean, what do we say? Neither one of us really know what to say or do. But I remember the strange sense of calm that overcame me as I watched him fidget with his lighter, the coasters on the, on the table, his pant cuff, and he kept shifting from side to side in his leather chair. I'll never forget that, that crunchy kind of rubbing sound of his body against the leather. If I closed my eyes, I could hear it in my sleep. And I wanted to tell him, hey, everything's going to be okay. But I didn't know him that well. Hell, I mean, I didn't know him at all. And then he went to the bathroom for the second time in the first five minutes. When he went to the bathroom, I sat there praying my heart wasn't going to jump out of my chest. My mind was still racing, and I noticed that there was, a, there was no Christmas decorations in his house. This is the day after Christmas, and he doesn't have a, a Christmas tree or a snowman or any reindeer or tinsel or a wreath. There's, there's nothing. It may as well have been the middle of summer. I remember his place. It was all that leather and wood. Not the, not the modern kind of cool look. It was more of that dated oak look with the, uh, with the gold attachments. It reminded me of something out of the 90s that uh, definitely could have used a female touch. But it was the lack of Christmas decorations that uh, just made me a little sad. Because I grew up my mom's house. Uh, still to this day, it's decorated like some sort of winter wonderland. And his house was not it i sat there i took it all in it occurred to me that he wasn't ready for this and this is it's hard for me to explain but i felt more emotionally evolved than him this became more clear when the second time he returned from the bathroom he had a bottle of jack daniels and two shot glasses and he said you want to do a shot you drink don't you i gotta do a shot to kill the nerves i'm nervous i've never done this before You know, I'm kind of, you nervous? And I remember thinking, I don't really want to do a shot because even though my insides were churning, I felt very grounded. Besides, I hated whiskey, didn't like the taste, and alcohol was never my numbing device of choice. Now, if he pulled out a box of chocolates, (laughs) that could have been a whole different story. But as discombobulated as I was, There was no way I was going to turn down doing a shot at Jack Daniels with my biological father. I mean, it's so perfect. So manly, right? Two men sitting on leather, leather furniture, drinking Jack Daniels. You combine that with the smell of his aqua velva aftershave and my senses were, well, they were complete. I was hoping to build a bond with him. And that five-year-old boy in me still, still wanted him to like me. So I replied, yeah, I'll, uh, sure, you know, I'll, I'll do a shot. He poured the shots, handed me one, took his own, and I'll never forget the irony of the shot glasses because uh, they were these commemorative glasses from a place called Paradise Lounge. And I remember thinking how peaceful a Paradise Lounge sounded compared to the torture chamber of emotions I was feeling. I was at a loss for what to say or what to do when he raised his shot glasses and he said, to sons. That really threw me off, because the only thing I could muster was cheers as we clanked our shot glasses. We threw our heads back, and before I could even put my shot glass back on the table, he said, How about another? 
If I'm being honest, the pit in my stomach wanted to do another shot. But I didn't want to be a pussy and tell him my throat was still burning from the first one, so I politely declined, and he said, Well, I gotta do another. As he quickly downed his second shot, he clapped his hands together and he said, Once that one kicks in, I'll be alright. It was then that he, he finally noticed the Christmas present that I had brought him. What's that? Is that a present? I hope that's not a present. Men don't exchange presents. Not in my family. That's what my dad taught me. Me and my brother don't exchange presents. A handshake is plenty. Once you turn 16, no more presents. You're an adult then. He must have read the look on my face. That look of terror. As I sat there stunned. Because after a long silence, he said, You bought the present for me? I should open it. Forget what I just said. I'm sorry, son. I've never done this, this, this whole thing. Your family exchanges presents. I'll open it right now. I was nervous with anticipation as I handed him the present. Fancy wrapping. You do that yourself? Well, I didn't wrap it myself. Honestly, I had the lady at Macy's wrap it. I paid that extra $4.99 to have them wrap it, but, but I wanted him to be impressed, so I just smiled and didn't answer. Turns out he's one of those slow present openers. He takes the bow off, comments about the bow, how awesome it is. Then he opens one side of the present, gently pulls the tape off, and then the other side, and then finally the back. And of course, he has to fold the wrapping paper up. Then he takes the box, then he does the one side where the tape is, then he does the other side where the tape is, and I'm thinking, dude, just open the fucking present already. And my skin is crawling, and I need to know... If he likes it. I'm not sure why I cared so much, but it was important to me that this guy I never met really liked the randomly selected present that I bought him. And finally, just before he pulled apart the tissue, the tissue that's in the box, he looked up at me and he kind of smiled. And I say he kind of smiled because I'm not so sure it was really a smile as much as that, uh, that weary look that had been on his face up to that point had momentarily vanished. Wow, look at that. Black is my favorite color. As he held up the shirt, it was obvious that it was too big for him, but he said, I bet it fits. I'm going to wear it right now. I bought a large, and it clearly needed a medium, so the shirt kind of hung on him, and it was too baggy even to tuck in. Look at that. It fits perfect. As he buttoned it up, finally he said, Thank you. As he gave me a handshake. Coming from a family who hugs and easily shows affection, the handshake, again, these fucking handshakes, it felt cold, but for him, I guess I can tell the handshake really meant a lot. I could tell that he kind of did, he kind of did want to hug me, but there was certainly something inside of him that wouldn't allow him to do it. He needed a hug. I could tell he needed a hug, because beyond that gruff exterior and the, uh, the suspicious eyes, I sensed a wounded, broken man who wasn't comfortable with love. Between the shots of alcohol, the nervous bouncing of his foot up and down, and him going to the bathroom for the third time in the first 15 minutes, I could see that he wanted to crawl out of his own skin. Now, I'm not sure if it was the anxiety medication that I was on or just my, my process of self-discovery, but I was very present and I was aware of what was going on, and I just, uh, I just wanted to put my arm around him and say, Hey, man. We're going to be all right. I was certainly saying it with my eyes, but he couldn't hear me. 
And I tried to break the ice finally uh, by asking him if he, if he had a girlfriend. And then he said no. And then he asked me if I had one. And I said no. And huh, we finally had something in common. And there was an awkward silence. And he busted that with, wait, you're not gay, are you? My instinct was to say, fuck you, what if I am? But I knew this conversation could go any which way. So I replied, no. And for the first time, I saw a glimmer of hope in his eyes. Eventually, the whiskey kicks in and he opens up to me quite a bit. I've never been married or anything. Had a few girlfriends here and there. Mostly, they're more of a hassle relationships. Having a relationship is too damn hard. I don't... It's probably that Vietnam that fucked me up. Killed a lot of people over there. We didn't know what PTSD was, so we didn't have any of that psychological, whatever the the, 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 the kids, the soldiers do today. I was a sniper back then, and we went out alone. And nowadays, they go out as a team with, with another person. But yeah, I was out there by myself. Killing machine. I came back pretty fucked up in the head. <laughs> Some people still say I'm fucked up in the head. I don't know. As he laughed through the pain, I wanted to punch myself in the face because I wasn't sure what to say. Merry fucking Christmas? I don't know. This was a lot to take in. But I was... I was happy. I was semi-satisfied because I was getting a snapshot of this man. My dad. And who he was. I wasn't born yet, but I, I knew plenty about Vietnam. You know, I saw Apocalypse Now, right? I saw Deer Hunter. I saw Platoon and Casualties of War and Born on the Fourth of July and Full Metal Jacket. I wasn't sure how to respond to his confession, but I remember thinking that that's a lot of shit that he had to work through. A lot of shit that he, uh, he didn't work through. As I sat there, I was thinking, sheesh. I'm seeing a therapist for a panic attack. And this man had blood all over his hands and he never had a chance to talk about the atrocities he witnessed and committed. He told me he was, uh... He was the stereotypical Vietnam vet of another great war movie. Easy Rider. He rode around the country on his Harley and did mass quantities of drugs. It all kind of made sense to me as I sat there on the couch. I really felt compassion for him. But I also had a few questions for him that I was... I was too afraid to ask. Did you know about me? Did my mom tell you about me when you got back from Vietnam? Do you want to be my dad? You want to fight? Do you love me? Do you love me? Okay, let's move to our second story. Our second storyteller is Brett Hamilton. Brett describes himself as a writer, a storyteller, and a yogi. His story describes the day that he met Mark Marin in person and forced himself to say hello because Mark's podcast was the reason that Brett was able to bring healing to the relationship with his own father, who had been mentally and emotionally cut off from Brett his entire life. Brett says that if you connect with his story, he'd love to hear from you. His email address is in the written episode description. Here's Brett. This is the story of how I risked the lives of 12 high school girls for the chance to meet one of my heroes. 
LAX airport. I'm the assistant coach of a 16 and under girls volleyball team. We make our way to our gate in the United Terminal. Lots of people notice the collective swath of height and Lululemon ushering past. I look out, mostly scanning for creeps who stare too long at the young ladies I'm coaching so I can have my white knight righteous moment of letting them know they're 16, man. Sadly, I don't catch such a man, but out of the corner of my eye, I glimpse the back of a familiar salt and pepper head ambling towards the food court. My stomach drops. Nervous tingling floods my body. I say, that's Mark Marin. And his tractor beam begins to reel me in. Mark Marin is a stand-up comedian, actor, and host of the WTF podcast. I float away from my external height twins and race towards my internal emotional twin, Mr. Marin. I weave in and out of food court tables, tracking the back of his indecisive head. I hear his inner monologue as he bounces from food counter to food counter. Uh, this airport food is garbage. I can't eat any of this shit. What about CPK? I can find something at CPK. I catch up to a comfortable 10-foot stalking distance, tracking him like prey. Come on, Marin. Make up your mind and get in line somewhere so I can... I don't know, drool on you? He is looking for food and me looking for, wait, what, what am I looking for? I don't approach celebrities or heroes. It's in such poor taste. Maybe those are my father's words. And maybe that's why I'm here stalking and chasing Mark Marin around an airport food court because of dads. That's why I'm here. Dads. I didn't have much of a relationship with mine. We breathed the same air, shared the same house, even watched the same porn, which I stole from him and sold to the neighborhood kids because his collection was so abundant. That's a story for another time. He didn't make me feel anything but angry and sad. He never praised me. He never told me that he loved me. He was beloved by his community and friends and a stranger to me. He was an excellent student, graduating from Columbia University and NYU Law, which he made sure came up in most conversations. He chose to practice law, or let me say, out of fear of pursuing a career in music, he found himself a prosecutor, and eventually a judge. How he viewed the world was such a mystery to me. He was trying death penalty cases, and I never knew whether he believed in the death penalty or not. I believe what you practice, you become. If you practice law, truth may become irrelevant. And if you take responsibility and admit fault or weakness, you lose. I believe unconsciously this choice translated to how he showed up in my family. Taking responsibility for shortcomings in our home meant he lost. My biggest fear throughout my 20s was that my father would die without us ever having had a meaningful conversation. Two things happened. At age 30, I stopped drinking and began exploring my emotional life. 
and my father had quadruple bypass heart surgery. So the reality of him dying without me ever speaking up became a possible reality. Listening to WTF helped me find the courage to face that fear. On his podcast, Mark openly shares about his troubled relationship with his self-involved father. He speaks about his experiences in therapy and AA that helped him learn about narcissism and codependency. This all helped arm me with language and context and made me feel like I wasn't the only one who had this hardship. I couldn't talk about this with my mom or sister. My friends from high school and college couldn't relate. But Mark's connection to the pain of having a detached, self-involved father made me feel like I wasn't alone and that I could take action to change it. On a visit home, my father sitting in his chair, watching his favorite distraction device, his prized 72-inch television. I lay on the sofa, laptop resting on my stomach as I play an online poker tournament, my favorite distraction device. This is my family's idea of bonding, sitting in the same room, silently staring at screens. My father asks, so tell me about this new girl. From the basement of my soul, I erupt. Why the fuck would you care? He fidgets and makes excuses as if he was always interested and curious about what was going on in my life. 30 years of anger, sadness, and resentment pours out of me into him. I sob and scream as snot and tears eject from my face holes. Do you have any idea how much it hurts that you never said I love you to me? You never once called me when I was at college to see how I was doing. Do you know that my friends call you the non-existent man? He sat there silently staring blank at the TV screen. I watched his body becoming smaller and smaller as the arrows fly from my heart. I see him physically transforming into a little boy before my eyes. When I finish what my 30-year silence has to say, he says, I can recall the exact moment when I shut down emotionally. I was eight years old. He tells me how an evangelical preacher rolled into their small town when he was a young boy, and his father changed overnight and was completely swept up in spirit. My father told me seeing his father change and my father being able to see through the facade of the church shut him down completely and made him feel like he could never open up or trust anyone. I asked if he had ever told anyone this. He said no. He told me he had thought about getting help his entire life but never had the courage. In this moment, for the first time, I was able to begin to forgive my father because I knew more of his story. This is why I'm here stalking Mark Marin around the food court in the United Terminal at LAX. He finally lands in a long line at Wolfgang Puck Express. Here goes nothing. I close the stalking distance to uncomfortable hovering distance. I don't have words. 
I don't think I'm breathing. I stand there hovering over him, hoping he will feel me hovering and make the introduction I'm too afraid to make. Okay, Marin, I made it this far. Now it's your turn. He doesn't budge. I finally limp out. Mark? Which feels like... (laughs) He spins around like a top. Yeah! Fighting back tears... I reach for his hand and say, my name's Brett. I just want to say thank you for doing what you do. He says, oh yeah, thanks man. Where are you headed? I say to Reno to coach a volleyball tournament. Oh, you said Brett, right? I reply, yes. Nice to meet you, Brett. I linger for a moment not wanting this embrace to end. Standing in front of a stranger whom I've listened to speak for hundreds of hours, I feel seen. I feel heard. Things I never felt from my father. Until I realized, oh yeah, I'm coaching a volleyball tournament in Reno. When I floated away from my pack of 16-year-old gazelles, I didn't tell anyone where I was going. I turn to run away, plow into a 50-year-old Asian man, hug him to keep him from falling, and gracefully run to find the young women I'm responsible for. They're fine. I didn't realize at the time the weight of this thank you. After I broke the silence with my dad, we began building an authentic relationship. It was bumpy, but it was real. Two years later, he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Having said what I needed to say, I was able to be present with him until the end. I asked questions without fear. I listened without judgment. I said, I love you, dad, as much as I could. I held his hand as he transitioned from this form to the next. This experience taught me, if you have things you need to say to people you care about, do it now, right now, because you never know when they'll be gone. Speak up, say what you need to say. If Mark Marin hadn't, I don't know if I would have. Okay, so what now? Take a breath and notice what you're feeling. Did anything that these men said ring true for you in your relationships? If so, do you need to take action on any of those things? Are there things that you have always wanted to say to someone but never said? How about questions you want to ask your parents but never asked? Or is there someone who you want to thank for changing your life, celebrity or otherwise, who you haven't yet thanked? If so, do it. Do it now. Don't wait. Time is precious. I want to deeply thank both of these men for being perfect examples of what we talk about on this show, which is being men in the world who are willing to look inside of themselves, feel their feelings, and talk about them. And they didn't have to agree to come on and read their stories here today, but I'm so, so, so grateful that they both did.
Danny, thank you. Brett, thank you. Both of your stories opened my heart and made my life better. And thank you all for listening here today. I'm so happy that you joined us. And we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks for listening to A Brave New Man Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to A Brave New Man on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And come follow us on Instagram at A Brave New Man Pod. That's A Brave New Man P-O-D for updates on the show and our daily words of wisdom. See you next time.